Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. Here to help me introduce our next guest is my producer, Sari Soffer. Sari, we have Bobby Brown on the show today. Yes, she's the creator of the eponymous makeup line, Bobby Brown, which she sold to Estee Lauder four years after she launched. Now she has a new makeup line, Jones Road, which she launched in the pandemic. Yes, she launched the Jones Road line the day her non-compete with Estee Lauder expired. Yep. It was pretty wild to me that she agreed to a 25-year non-compete with them in 1995, Because, you know, she thought at that time she would never want to work in her 60s. That seemed like forever, Um, Mm -hmm. which is obviously not true since she was counting down the days to launch this newest line. She even had the date where the non-compete ended emblazoned on a necklace that she wore every day. I love that. I think that's so cool. (laughs) Also on that note with her thinking that she'd never want to work in her 60s and then launching an entire new line. Every article I read to prepare for this interview mentioned her age like it was one of the most important pieces of information about her, like a woman in her 60s starting a new company. It's unheard of. Unheard of if men in their 60s didn't start new companies, there'd be a lot fewer companies in the world. So, yeah, I'm not sure it is uh, as remarkable as folks think. Mm hmm. Because you know what? You get better with age. You get better <laughs> with experience. You actually gain wisdom. And that turns out that has a lot of value in the marketplace and elsewhere in the world. And she took advantage of that time during her non-compete where she wasn't allowed to create a makeup brand. And she started getting more into like wellness and became a health coach, which ended up being hugely influential in her current brand since it focuses on clean products, which is an issue that's gained momentum in recent years. No safety tests are required before beauty products hit store shelves. I remember a few years ago, Kourtney Kardashian actually went to Congress for more regulation on cosmetics. Everybody should have the right to, you know, healthy products and personal care. And there have been a few bills drafted in Congress by women lawmakers, of course. But, of course, something like cosmetics, a girl's thing, I'm using air quotes here, um, doesn't usually take priority. We've interviewed a lot of women who realize that change isn't going to happen from top down. So they have to change their industry from within. And I, I think that that's what Bobby Brown is doing now, too. And I want to ask her about, you know, both times in her career. One, when she first started, because she really was a trailblazer. You know, in the early 90s, makeup artists did not create their own brand of cosmetics, right? Like that was not a thing. That was something that she imagined for herself. And then now... 30 plus years on since she didn't imagine this for herself 25 years ago, um, how she's seen the industry change from her early days as a makeup artist and then advice that she has for women starting their own business now. Bobby Brown, thanks for being on. Welcome. Oh, I'm so psyched. I'm so psyched. Love your podcast, by the way. Yay! Thank you so Love much. It. That's so nice of you. So I don't know if you remember this, but I met you once before because you came to do Elizabeth Edwards's makeup. Hmm. It was for some big thing. And, you know, the person who was organizing that said, well, we have, you know, Bobby Brown coming. And I was like, oh, great. Like someone from Bobby Brown. Well, they're like, no, uh-huh. no, no. It's Bobby Brown. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah, which was like, yeah, so I had this tendency. You. Yeah, I had this tendency to always mix things together that shouldn't be together. I just never realized like I once did a fundraiser for my dear friend, Cory Booker, and I did mm-hmm. a makeup fundraiser and I didn't even realize that was not really a good thing to mix. But I've kind of done that my entire life. <laughs> Seems like it. You're just like, this is what I'm good at. And I'm going to go like put all into it and I'm going to like go do it. So your new line, Jones Road. Yeah. You know, we fuss about silly things like, I don't know which mascara to get. And Bobby Brown says, this is the very best mascara. And Bobby Brown says, this is the very best eyeliner. And Bobby Brown says, this is the balm you're supposed to use. And you're like, great. I don't have to make any more decisions. I'm just going to do this. (laughs) And the intent is that when you put it on, you look better. End of story. As opposed to what? As opposed to, oh, it's something new. It's something trendy. It's what the influencer posted. It's no, you put it on and you look so much better. (laughs) I have a hashtag that I don't really use, but I should hashtag how not to look like shit. Right. 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 Kind of why we wear makeup. So this is why we're wearing it. It's not complicated. But you do seem to know because the same was true from like in the 90s when you started with Bobby Brown lipsticks. You do seem to know what women not necessarily what women want, but what women need before we do. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because you make it all yourself? No, I, you know, I'm someone that's incredibly curious. And I also, I'm not present a lot of ways, but I'm really uber focused and present on the things I'm really interested in. And I understand, and I'm obsessed with doing things better, making things better, helping making things simpler. Like that's my whole thing. It's like life is so friggin' complicated. Like it took me a long time to realize, oh, I should really stop trying to diet myself down to fit into my wardrobe. I should actually buy clothes that fit my body. Like that was like genius. I'm like, oh, okay. At At what point did you realize that? Well, when I was like stressful, you know, trying to get ready for like, you know, one of my Today Show appearances, carrying 15 different things. And I was like, okay, this is really stupid. I need to just have simple things that fit my five foot frame with my, you know, my beloved boobs that are bigger than I've, you know, that I need. But okay. So I figured it out and my life got so much easier. It does seem like the makeup line choices does make life simpler. It's not trendy. I don't care. I never did, by the way, care about the trends. It's like you would have to talk about the trends. And honestly, I I realized one day when I was at Fashion Week and all these editors from all over the world are saying to me, oh, what's the trend? And I'm like, I just made it up. And I just made it up on what kind of products were coming out next year. And it became the trend. And I'm like, okay, fine. There's the trend. And finally, one year I said... There are no trends. It's all about classic. And that became the trend. (laughs) Right. And that is sort of like your milieu is makeup. But I feel like that's true for whatever it is you engage in, right? Like I write and I feel like if I work really hard to be very specific about my experience, that is going to be universal to people. Like, as interesting, I saw you talk about how you don't compete. You don't feel like you compete with other people. You just kind of like do your own thing. And if you are focused on doing the best of your own thing, it's going to create something that, you know, will become a trend, whether you like it or not. But I feel like that's a good lesson for people to take outside of that can apply to other things. It's like, just do your own thing. Don't go chasing what someone else has done. 
Well, I think many of us, and me included, when I was younger, I tried to conform and be like everybody else. Oh, I should do this. I should do this. And I realized it was not comfortable for me and it mm-hmm. didn't make me happy. Could you imagine what it's like going to the, you know, all these like fashion parties as a 40 something year old, five foot tall, you know, soccer mom and trying to get all dressed up and going to the Met Ball and, you know, there's Sandra Bullock and there's Rihanna and there's all these people. And you're like, oh my God, I don't hold up to this. And then when you realize I don't need to feel bad about anything, I just need to have fun. Yeah. I do find it really liberating. I mean, I feel that way. I feel like if you can have that sort of level of confidence with yourself, you know, that's what people grab onto. That's what people find compelling. It is. Jones Road is self-funded. Was that by choice? I know that for women that are trying to start businesses, being able to raise capital is still like a big hurdle for mm-hmm. women. But what was your experience? Right. Or do you have advice for women that are trying to do this? Well, I can't compare to my advice because I happen to have a lot of friends in, you know, funding who mm-hmm. begged me to take their money. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. You know, my husband said, no, we're doing it ourselves. You know, you don't want to answer to anyone. Right. There really wasn't a question. But I think that as far as, you know, raising money, I always give advice to founders and mm-hmm. people doing things that see what you could do without it. Just see. Oh. Because a lot of people... They raise money before they have a company, and then they never quite figure out what the company is. And this is more for products. You know, it's not for other things. Mm -hmm. Like, I literally just talked to someone on the phone from Harvard Business School about her epic company that she's creating and her deck. She's worried about how to get all these people on the wait list. And we went through this whole thing, and I said, you haven't said anything about the product. Talk to me about the product. And she said- well, we've only had one submission and I don't like it. I'm like, you need to stop everything else and you need to focus on the product. People forget the simple things. And you can't just say, oh, I'm, I, I want to do a cream. I want to have a beauty company. I mean, you can't do that. It's got to be more than that. There's got to be a reason, a story, something different. Quality product. More than that. How, like, why are people going to be excited about your quality product? Like, what's your expertise? Mm-hmm. And if one more founder says, I didn't like what was in the market, so I made my own. No, I need more than that. (laughs) That's not enough. So what would you say that is for Jones Road then? For Jones Road, well, I mean, I don't have to as much. I mean, because I'm honest, I'm Bobby Brown. So I already made my, you know, myself known out there. Mm -hmm. But for me, the point of difference is that this is a makeup line that happens to be clean, but it's basically a simple way to just make yourself look better. It's just different kind of textures. Yeah. And I love them. And by the way, if you are a founder and have your own company, you have to really love what you make. That's a good point. People don't appreciate, it's really hard to do that kind of business, but even when it's new and exciting and something big that you're doing on your own, if you don't love what's at the root of it, you are not going to be successful at it. Right. So you got the idea for Jones Road before the pandemic started, right? Yes. Well, I went back and, you know, became a makeup artist, which was the most fun thing that I do. I love doing shoots more than anything. Mm -hmm. And I got a call out of the blue to be the keynote speaker of the Indian makeup show. So I went to India Mm -hmm. and it was an amazing experience. I got to curate all this makeup because I didn't want to use the makeup from the past. I Mm -hmm. wanted to go forward because 
I'm someone that goes forward, not backwards, mm-hmm. except on my Instagram on Thursdays and Fridays. But anyways, <laughs> um, so I curated all this makeup. And, you know, it was really fun trying other people's makeup, understanding the new things that I didn't have the opportunity to do. And I also started playing with some of the clean products out there, not because I think it's better, but because it's like, of course, why would I formulate something that wasn't clean? You know, as a health coach and someone that's a health nut, I use good ingredients in my food. I use good ingredients in my cleaning things. So of course I was, you know, interested in the clean space. Mm-hmm. And then the really exciting thing happened as I got a call from Masterclass to do a makeup masterclass. Then I seriously had to curate all the products that I loved. And I had started development of Jones Road. Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk about it or tell it, but I realized that's all I used. Mm-hmm. Look, I had no idea we were going to have a pandemic when I had the idea for this. Yeah. And, you know, I launched this brand seriously on Instagram Live, on Zooms, on, Mm -hmm. you know, from my desk, from, you know, wherever I have been, I've been everywhere. You learn how to be an entrepreneur again, a scrappy entrepreneur. And that's my comfort zone. I mean, the pandemic sort of forced that for all of us. Yeah. We have learned like, oh, we're super resourceful. Oh, we can figure it out. Oh, we can adapt. Yes, yes. Just like my grandfather did when he came to this country. Seriously. Mm -hmm. We have it all at our fingertips. You know, we do. And speaking of being a scrappy entrepreneur, after the break, I want to talk to you about your original Bobby Brown line, how it came to be and what it felt like selling it with your name. We'll get to that after the break on Just Something About Her with makeup artist and entrepreneur Bobby Brown. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with Bobby Brown, who just launched her new makeup collection, Jones Road. I want to go all the way back to the 90s when you started Bobby Brown. I think, you know, at the time we're like, oh, great, there are these, you know, Bobby Brown lipsticks and we all love them and just sort of accepted that as a normal thing. But it was pretty groundbreaking for you to do it at the time. Like, what was that journey like from being a makeup artist to somebody that was making makeup? Well, you certainly don't know it's groundbreaking at the time. So back in the 90s, I didn't know I was doing anything other than just what I was doing. And now I look back, yes, it was groundbreaking. But at the time, I had just fallen in love, got engaged, and, you know, about to get married. And I realized that I'm traveling so much. I'm never going to see this guy. And we needed the money from the jobs. And then I had this idea. How about instead of me just trying to fix all the lipsticks, why don't I just make them? And it wasn't just an idea. So you would fix them before you would like take other people's lipsticks and blend them as you're making up other women. Yes, I had to. Mm -hmm. Because most of the makeup in the 90s, you know, they were just not attractive, not pretty. I'd put lipstick on people and I'd Mm -hmm. say, oh, they don't look good. Yeah. And, you know, they were too bright. They were too blue, too orange, you know, all those kind of things. And so I would take like a beige like funky, cheap lipstick that I had in my kit and I would fix it. And I'm right. like, oh, that's so much better. Now I know that's called, you know, making a neutral. Uh-huh. And so I discovered that I really loved the color of people's lips and everyone had different color lips. And one day I was at a shoot and I met a chemist. And oh, I said to him, 
I have this idea. I want to make a lipstick that looks like lips. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll make it for you. And I did. I made it. You know, we went back and forth and I told him I didn't want it to smell. I didn't want it to be sticky. I didn't want it to be too dry. And we mailed it back and forth. I loved it. It was my perfect color. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my God, I bet I could sell this. And then I realized not everyone likes the natural color and not everyone has the same color lips. I realized women have all different color lips. Mm-hmm. Even the same color skin, you could have different color lips. Uh-huh. Really, my focus group were the models I was working with from different countries, nannies, because I had just had my first baby. So I had nannies from all over the world. I mm-hmm. would stare at them in the park. Mm-hmm. And then I realized people need a red and orange. And I made 10 colors. I sold them out of my house to friends and people I met. And one day, a friend of mine who worked in a magazine said, can I write about it? I'm like, oh. why would you want to write about this little project? Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now I know it's called PR. <laughs> and <laughs> she wrote about it. And I sold a lot of them. Uh-huh. I would put them in an envelope with the ingredients on a little thin piece of paper. My husband would mail them for me on his way to law school. And I had a mini business. And I did that for a couple of years while I was still commuting to the city and doing people's makeup and getting hired for jobs. Mm -hmm. And one day I was at a party in New York. It was a very fancy party, Upper East Side. Mm -hmm. And as I always do, you know, thank you for inviting me. It's so nice. What do you do? She said, oh, I'm a cosmetics buyer at Bergdorf Goodman. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I have a line of lipsticks. And I pitched her and we opened in Bergdorf Goodman probably six months later. Was there a moment during this time where you were scared or feeling like you didn't have the ability to do what you were trying to do or what you were trying to do was too big? No, never, because I have this crazy, I don't even know what it is, but I don't know if it's an ability or a personality trait. I am Mm -hmm. so friggin' naive. Like I just, (laughs) I don't think it's not going to work out. And if it doesn't work out, so what? Right. Like, yeah, we emptied our bank account of the last $10,000 we had at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting and fun. And by the way, I was also not sleeping because I had a new baby. Right. And commuting to the city and- Commuting from Montclair, New Jersey, right? That's where you were. Yeah. Montclair, New Jersey to the city. Mm -hmm. And back then, no one did that. Like in Mm -hmm. the fashion business, because I was still a working makeup artist, you didn't tell people you were married. God forbid you were married. You lived in New Jersey. And you live in New Jersey? Oh my gosh. So, you know, it was bad enough that, you know, I was a woman and I was American because that wasn't cool at the time. I remember getting advice from someone from corporate that said, why don't you get a pied-a-tier in New York City and tell the editors that's where you live because no one wants to write about a soccer mom. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even know what soccer moms were yet. No. And you know what? I said, yeah, you want to buy me a -a pied-a-tier? And he didn't. So I never (laughs) got one. (laughs) At what point did you sell it to Estee Lauder? Well, um, my husband and I ended up having partners. So Mm -hmm. there was four of us in the company. And it ended up to be a very tough partnership where we've rekindled after all these years, but it was really tough. I mean, I would lay in bed at night and just say, I can't do this. And my husband would say, just breathe, relax. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing he taught me. Nighttime. Because the partnership day. itself was stressful between the, yes. between the individuals, yeah. the humans, like a human yes, problem. Yes, the humans. Yeah. Human problems. Yes. That can Business develop, was I guess. great. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. You mm-hmm. know, personality, different things. And then one day I get a phone call from Frederick Fakai that said, my friend Leonard Lauder wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's cool. So <laughs> I talked to him and he said, you're beating us in all the stores. We'd like to buy you. Yeah. Yes. My husband is also a businessman and an attorney. So mm-hmm. that was definitely helped a lot. We sold the company to Estee Lauder after four to five years. Mm-hmm. And I stayed as an employee. Right. For 22 years. This blows me away. (laughs) This part of your story. Me too. (laughs) You said that you were not very corporate or you said like you were like the least corporate person ever. Yeah, the worst corporate person. Yeah. I can imagine. So tell me about that. Like, what was that transition like? I remember I would get up in the morning and say, oh my God, what am I doing today? Okay, I have a board meeting. I have a fashion shoot and I have to get on the train and go to the White House to do something. Right. So I'm like, all right, what do I wear? And the school drop off. So I would pack these bags of clothes and shoes, and I would literally change four or five times. You to know, try to fit in for each situation. To try to fit in, to be comfortable. Yeah, to fit in. Mm-hmm. And one day I said to myself, this is really stupid. Right. Find one pair of pants, put on a pair of comfortable shoes, you know, bring a pair of high shoes for, you know, certainly the White House or whatever I was yeah. doing. And, you know, so what? No one's going to know that I'm wearing really dark jeans. No one's going to know. Well, you were one of the first people who did this, too. You were one of the first women that adopted a uniform. I did. And, you know, I used to walk around and, you know, President Obama would say to me, nice kicks. And I'd like hold up my high shoes. (laughs) It was a crazy time. But I realized no one would pay attention that I am wearing jeans. No one noticed. Or at least said it. Or they don't know that they don't notice, but it's like, she's Bobby Brown. That's what she does. But I had a navy blazer, you know, and I had nice earrings and a blowout. And that always makes me feel together. And I always have a manicure, which I usually keep red because Mm -hmm. it makes me look polished. Mm -hmm. You know, I realized I am more comfortable like this. And you know what? What is confidence? Confidence just means you're comfortable. That's all it means. Yes. And people feed off of that because yeah. I knew you had you had sort of a uniform. That's like what you did. And then there's right. other women, you know, Kara Swisher. Do you know Kara Swisher? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and Kara just wears whatever Kara wants to wear. And it's often sweatshirt right. and jeans. And she's on stage sometimes. And that's what she's wearing. And it's like, that's what Kara does. And this is like what I have adopted. It's like, I wear jeans. I wear a nice sweater. <laughs> like, That is what I do. And that's it. You know, not that you're looking to stand out, but it is a sign of confidence, I think, when you don't have to fit in everywhere you go. You don't have to change to be a different person from where you are in the boardroom, who you are at the White House, to who you are when you're doing your business at home. Yeah. And, you know, I realized also that my life is, you know, especially pre-COVID, you know, I never knew if I was going to go spend the day with, you know, someone I haven't met before, whether it's, you know, the Springsteens or whether Mm -hmm. it's you know, some other businesswoman, like I get hired to go into people's studios and homes sometimes. And you know what? I can't always worry about what I'm going to wear. What am I going to wear? Like a black leather coat because I'm with a rock star, you know? I mean, no, I need to just be myself. Exactly. Like I'm not a rock star, right? Because I've had to like meet people like with when you travel with the Clintons or the Obamas, you meet people like this and you're like, I'm just a political staff person. Like that's what I am. And I'm going to wear like what we were. But when you had 22 years, Estee Lauder, you had to give up your name. And as like someone who's like a serial entrepreneur, how did that feel to not have control of your name anymore? Like that would, I feel like that would freak me out. 
No, when we sold the company, mm -hmm. I was so happy. They were the, it was the greatest thing oh, in the good. whole world. Mm -hmm. The greatest thing in the whole world. Because it was liberating and a relief or what? It was empowering. Mm -hmm. I got to experience some of the most incredible things in the world being, you know, part of this giant corporation. You know, I became part of the family. I was at every cool event. I mm -hmm. met people I never would have met before. You know, I had the most wonderful seat on the airplane and hotel rooms. I mean, I just had this glorious, wonderful life. And, you know, for so many years, it worked. And by the way, my business grew and I mm -hmm. was able to do what really mattered to me, which was the creative things and the things that mattered and be. And that's what they allowed you to do. You were still a chief creative officer. And that's what they allowed officer, me to right? do. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I was the CEO until only because I was able to pick a title mm -hmm. and I picked CEO because it sounded cool. Does, and after definitely. they bought me, they're like, um, not going to work. We have a CEO, pick something else. I'm like, <laughs> all right, what should I be? You know, mm -hmm. founder wasn't that interesting then. Now founder's cool. You know, it's funny. Founder used to be a stodgy thing. And now yeah. founder is like the thing you right. want to be. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to be part of the indie beauty world again. I'm like, oh yeah, I was. <laughs> right. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, so it was all good. And yes, when my husband said to me, the deal is done, there's one thing left. There's a 25-year non-compete and you could never use your name again for cosmetics. And I was like, I don't need the name again. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm never going to go back into cosmetics. In 25 years, I'll be in my 60s. I'm not going to want to work. So it's okay. They can have the name. Yeah. It served me well selling it. So now you're in your 60s and it turns out you wanted to launch new lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so honestly, I, I, I think about when I left the brand, it was October of 16, mm -hmm. not knowing what I was going to do, walked out the door and it was like, okay, you know, the first thing is every, all the stress went away. And then I was like, okay, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. And just things started happening, you know. How so? In your brain, things started happening or what? Well, I started calling people mm -hmm. and got, you know, offered different things. You know, do I want to try this? I mean, someone called me and said, do you want to fix Avon? Mm -hmm. Which I literally went to meetings for six or eight months and thank God it didn't happen because that would have been a way different path and I would not have been happy. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting at the time, you know, a yep. friend of mine that owed, owned Lord & Taylor offered me a Just Bobby shop, a mm -hmm. curated shop. What? I said, Okay. I did it. And then I did a hotel with my husband. That's in Montclair, right? It's in Montclair called the George. Uh -huh. You know, it's cool to do something you have no idea. And then I had my ninth book to promote, which is called Beauty from the Inside Out, which I went back to school, got my degree as a health coach. It was really interesting. And then I met someone and did a, a wellness brand called Evolution 18. Mm -hmm. Started being a makeup artist again, started doing shoots, and I decided to get back into beauty, which is the greatest, most amazing thing in my entire life, to be the boss again. To be the boss again? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Like, how so? Well, you know, I don't need to convince people. I just need to get people to prioritize because there's so much going on. We launched this brand in October. Mm-hmm of last year. Mm -hmm. So it's the end of October. I launched it a week before the presidential election, not for any reason other than it was the day my non-compete was up. I heard you had the date of your non-compete on a <laughs> necklace. 
Yes, I wear it every single day. And, you know, it was four and a half years, which is, I'm sorry, like a decade it's to a long an time. entrepreneur. Really long to, from when I left the brand, there was four and a half years left. Yeah. We have to take a break now to play some ads, but after the break, we'll talk about how the beauty industry has changed since our guest Bobby Brown first started. We'll be right back on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with our guest makeup artist and entrepreneur, Bobby Brown. So I want to talk about how the cosmetics industry has changed since you started your career. You've mentioned that it was really cutthroat back then. I think that a lot of industries, particularly ones that have more women in them, like fashion, cosmetics, health, um, women's magazines, they get their reputation for being cutthroat because we like to pit women against each other. And I think that at the root of that, that belies a belief that there is a finite number of women that can succeed. And so that we have to be in competition with each other. And, you know, way too often women buy into that, but really that is what's holding us back. That belief that there's only so much success to go around, that it's some kind of finite resource. Do you feel that way? Um, Like in what ways have you seen the industry change so that maybe women are supporting each other more? In the beginning, first of all, if you had a, you know, a competitor or someone that was in the same channels or doing the same thing, they would never, ever tell you anything, where they're getting it, what they're doing, how's it going, Mm -hmm. never. And now I have so many friends that are founders of cosmetics brands that give me their suppliers, you know, the CEO from, you know, one of the retailers, like everybody really works together. We support each other. And I don't know if that's just a younger generation thing, but, you know, it's quite something. You know, people that have companies that shout out Jones Road and I shout theirs out and we do giveaways together, you know, that's amazing. But certainly in the beginning, there were so many insecure people, women and men, Mm -hmm. that would like literally look you in the eye and tell you something and they go right behind your back and tell the powers that be something else. And I'm, again, very naive, and I just expect people to do what they're supposed to do and tell the truth. And you just found out it didn't happen. You know, honestly, it's shocking because those people that are so divisive, they never seem to get out of their own way. It doesn't work long term. It's a good way to look at it because I think prior you thought you were protecting yourself if you were doing that, if you were like not sharing information or that, you know, uh, when I first started my career in politics, I didn't think that I should band with other women. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was sort of a crutch that other women use that I didn't need. And now I find that in the last five years that when I band with other women, it's like, I do need them for support. And that that support that I get has made me realize things I didn't think I could ever do. But it was a change. I mean, for me, like it was Trump getting elected. (laughs) It was like, wow, women need to band together. You know, like that was my sort of awakening and change. But was there a moment where things changed for you? Or was it just like, do you think that this is just the times that women are supporting each other more, realizing that we don't have to be in competition? Well, you know, I left a big company and with a lot of women. And, you know, there was a bunch that were there for me when I left and a bunch that really disappointed me that I Mm. thought 
were different. And it took me a while to let go of, you know, some of the people that disappointed me. And I realized that by doing that, by, you know, feeling it and letting it go, and then being open that I've been able to form new strong relationships with so many amazing women in different categories and different, you know, industries. And, you know, I have a couple journalist friends that, you know, we do Zooms together. We used to actually see each other in person. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, you listen to this friendship between them and they're both on competitive networks and they help each other with their negotiations, having someone to talk to. And it's the same thing that I now have relationships with so many women in cosmetics who basically will say, oh, those margins are are great. Oh, that's not great. Oh, they're offering us this. What are they offering you? And never would that have happened years ago. And I find it's a new way to be a woman in business. It really is. Yeah. There's new ways to be women. Yes. And I just think it's really exciting. I've had that too. I had, you know, somebody when I started this podcast too, somebody who called me to say like, make sure you get X, Y, or Z, you know, make sure you get protected this way or that way. And it just feels like such a relief to me. To yeah. Know. It's powerful. I mean, honestly, it's powerful. And and I find it is. That, it is know, full of power. It is. <laughs> it is. And even and it, honestly, it makes me feel good. Like even this morning I saw on Instagram someone said something to me and she says, Oh, I have a clean line and mm-hmm. thank you for always encouraging us. You know, I and I went into her Instagram and I looked and I then put a picture of her on my stories and I said, Support this black owned brand. You know, it's really cool. And she like went back to me, she goes, I can't believe you did that. I've been trying to figure out how I was going to get more attention for this brand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? It took me two seconds. I was able to do something good to give back. And you know what? Do what you can for people. And that's just, you know, what I learned from my parents, what I teach my kids. It comes back, guys. It does. Bobby Brown, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Oh, so nice to talk to you. Yeah, and meet really you. great. Yeah. See you again. Meet you again. Yes. <laughs> uh, Sarah Safa, are you there? I am. Have you learned so much? I have learned so much. I want to start my own business. She's very inspiring. Right? Yeah. Actually, something that really stood out to me is, so she said that the one thing that allowed her to be able to be so bold and start both of her companies was naivete. Yeah. I just like, while I think that's very interesting, I kind of don't buy it. I feel like women often like use the word naive in order to not seem like they're threatening when they do something bold. But she seemed just like the most confident, self-assured woman. And I think that's what it was. It was that she was confident that she was good at what she does, that people liked her products. And I think it's really cool to just say that. What I took that to mean when she said that she was naive was maybe she didn't understand how hard it is for women. Right. She was very confident. She had only been a makeup artist. She had not been in business. So maybe she had some blinders on that didn't make her get freaked out about how hard it was going to be. Right. If she had started out in business, she would have understood how unlikely it is that a makeup artist goes to creating her own, you know, mega brand and makes tens of millions of dollars doing that. (laughs) But what she was always sure of, and this reminds me of what Samantha Power told us, right? She said she advises young women know something about something. And what Bobby recommends to women who are looking to start a business is like, have a good idea. (laughs) Right. Right. And be able to articulate that. 
Yeah, don't get all wrapped up in your business plan. Have a good idea, have a good product, have it be something you know a lot about. And, you know, this is like whether you're writing, you know, like write what you know, if you are starting a business or you know, hope to be a policy expert, like go deep in something that is important to you and like that knowledge, but then also the passion that you bring to it because it's something you care a lot about it, you know, that's going to make you be successful whether you're naive or not. Yep. Um, while we're sitting here together, should we tell our listeners who is going to be on the show next week? <laughs> we've done, I think we've done 26 episodes now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done, a, we've done a lot of episodes. They've all been amazing in their own way, but they were also in the back of my mind, building me to this guest that we're going to have on. Can you hear my drum roll? Hillary Clinton is going to be our next guest on Just Something About Her. And obviously, she's somebody I know really well. And this podcast is named for her. Just Something About Her, of course, is what everyone would say when they're expressing their unease with Hillary in the 2016 campaign. I don't know. There's just something about her I don't like. I don't know. There's just something about her I don't trust. People couldn't be specific in what their criticisms or their unease with her was really about. It's just there. And, you know, this is obviously something I have thought a ton about to bring to our listeners. Mm -hmm. And I want to use this interview as sort of an opportunity to decode some of these things that are said about her, these tropes that hang around her, because, you know, in the end, really, it's about an ambitious woman seeking power, doing things differently in a way that we don't recognize And there's something for us all to learn and what happened to her. So it's going to be the decoder episode. I'm very, very excited. It really has been a culmination of everything we've done so far. And through her more public experiences, since we all know many of them so well, it is easier to expose some of the things that we all experience on a day-to-day basis, being ambitious women in the world. But we're going to decode it all with her. (laughs) This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Bobby Brown for being on the show. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer. 